Feeling good, feeling right. Every day, every night, I've got joy in my life, in my life. Say farewell, say goodbye to my worries and strife. I've got joy in my life, in my life. Thank you for clapping. <laughs> hey, I don't, I don't know if, if me singing or wearing this very, very loud shirt has any indication of what we're going to talk about today, uh, but we're talking about peace, that's right. No, we're talking about joy this morning. Uh, we just celebrated Thanksgiving. A lot of us have now turned our minds towards shopping, I mean Christmas, um, but this morning, what I want to say to you is Happy New Year. If you were here last week, you got a very brief uh, lesson on the liturgical calendar from Justin, and you know that the start of Advent is the start of our new Christian year. And so today, as we kick off Advent, I want to talk about joy, because Advent, we talk a lot about peace, hope, love, and joy. Those are typically the four main themes. Now, joy is not normally week one, but I don't care because I'm a rebel, and joy is something that I have been learning a lot about recently, and I want to talk about it. And since Justin gave me the power, I've made that executive decision today. So joy, we sing a lot about joy. We talk about joy to the world. We talk about repeating the sounding joy during the Christmas season, but I think a lot of times we don't necessarily always understand what real joy is. So if I said to you, what is joy? A lot of times people will say, it just means happiness. It's the same thing. Joy and happiness, they're the same thing. And I think there's some truth to that. I want to show you a picture of what I think common joy looks like. Okay, I took this picture a couple weeks ago. This is my daughter, Kit. What could be bringing her so much joy? We were on the front row watching Peppa Pig live on stage. But to a three-year-old, that was joy. That was this joyous occasion. Because to a three-year-old, joy is happiness. And to a lot of folks, we haven't graduated from that. Joy is happiness. But what does the Bible really say about joy? Well, joy, you may not know this, but I'm sure you can imagine that joy is a key theme throughout Scripture. In fact, on the very first page of the Bible, we learn about our first little taste of joy, right? God created the heavens and the earth and said it was good. It was good, right? It was good. It brought us joy. Creation is joy. We learn that joy is present in beautiful and good things like pastures and hills. We read that in Psalm chapter 65. We learn that joy can be found at a wedding. We learn that joy can be present through our children. We even read in scripture that joy can come from a good bottle of wine. It's right there in scripture. But biblical joy doesn't always just look like these things that bring us happiness. It doesn't always look like warm and fuzzies. In fact, when the, when the Israelites were leaving Egypt and going into the wilderness, when they had been rescued from slavery, slavery, it talks about, even though they're in the midst of the wilderness, it talks about them rejoicing. Jesus himself rejoiced in doing the work that the father had for him. Do you know what that work was? Spoiler alert. He, was, he came here to die, right? And he rejoiced in that. Even Jesus' own teaching on joy in Matthew chapter 5, he talks about rejoicing in the midst of persecution. 
And Paul likewise rejoiced as he suffered in prison. Having joy doesn't necessarily mean happiness and it doesn't mean ignoring or suppressing our sorrow. Paul also said in 2 Corinthians, we are, quote, sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. I don't know about you, but I think sometimes the holiday season, although it can be joyous, it can also be sorrowful. But our joy is not determined by our current struggles, but by our future destiny. A passage that we're going to read a lot throughout the Advent season is Isaiah chapter 51. Isaiah 51 is a a prophecy about the coming Messiah. And so we read it at Christmas to say, hey, look, here's all these things that were said long before Jesus came to earth, and yet he fulfills all of these things. Well, one thing that it talks about in Isaiah 51 is this promised joy, this joy that is going to come to the earth. And then in Luke chapter two, we get the fulfillment of that joy, right? The angel says, I bring you glad tidings of great joy, right? The fulfillment of the promise. So, Here's what I'm going to do. I've told you what joy is not, but I haven't given you my definition of joy. So here's my definition of biblical Christian joy. An atti- it's an attitude that we adopt, not because of our current circumstances, but because of our hope in God's love and promise. It is a profound decision of faith in the power of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Let me say that one more time. An attitude that we adopt, not because of our current circumstances, but because of our hope in God's love and and promise. It's a profound decision of faith in the power of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And I have boiled that down to a simplified version that I'm going to put on the screen so you can remember, because I think this is going to be easier to palette, right? Joy is not a feeling that we feel. It is a choice that we make. It's a choice that we make because we know what it is rooted in. So when we talk about rejoicing, rejoice, re, what does re mean? It means again, it means to renew. I'm going to rejoy. I'm going to renew my joy. I'm going to choose to continue to be joyful. I'm going to repeat sounding joy. That's what this season is all about. And we talk during Advent a lot about joy in anticipation of Christ's arrival. But the one really significant time that Jesus talked about joy, it wasn't about his own arrival, it was about his departure. And so we're gonna look at John chapter 16 this morning, starting in verse 16. We're gonna go in little chunks to hear a little bit from Jesus's own mouth about what he perceives joy to be. Now, this first little section, you're going to have to bear with me. This is a little bit of, uh, for, for the older generation in the audience, this is a little Abbott and Costello action. So it's going to be a little confusing. If it's confusing to you, you're in good company because it was confusing to the disciples. So John chapter 16, starting in verse 16. A little while, and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while, and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, what? is this that he says to us, a little while and you will not see me, and again, a little while and you will see me, and because I'm going to the Father. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he's talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, 
Is this what you are asking yourselves, what I mean by saying a little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me? So we're going to pause right there. What is Jesus talking about? They don't know. They don't, we have perspective, right? We have the end. We have the spoiler alert. Jesus is talking about his own death. He's talking about the fact that he's about to be crucified and leave, leave their presence. But they don't know that. So he's talking in riddles and they're thinking, we don't, we don't know what this person is talking about. So the first thing that I think we learn from Jesus about joy, especially with the perspective that we have, is that presence is not a requirement for joy because our joy is rooted in hope. It's not rooted in presence, right? If joy is not a feeling that we feel, it's not circumstantial. So if Jesus is not present with the disciples, that's their circumstances. It's not about that. Presence is not a requirement for joy. It's rooted in hope. He is essentially saying to them, they don't know this, I am preparing you for a time when I am no longer here. That is a very hard conversation to have. And I can say that because I had that conversation about a month ago and I didn't know that it was important at the time, right? A lot of you all know my dad uh, about a month and a half ago went in the hospital, kind of a weird heart thing. They thought he was having a heart attack. Turns out he had leukemia and he didn't know it. And he went in the hospital and my mom said, hey, this is the situation, you know, try to come up and visit sometime. So I made the decision to go up that week, had conversations with my dad. We, he was going through treatment. Prognosis was, you know, not immediate. It was kind of like, hey, he's looking good. He's, he's doing good. His numbers are great. And so during that time, I carved out about a four hour block to just sit with my dad, just he and I. And during that time, he looked at me and he said, is there is there anything we need to talk about? Like anything we need to say in case something happens? Like, I don't think anything's gonna happen. He said, he said the first day I got in the hospital, I took death off the table. He said, we're not, but just in case, like, is there anything we need to talk about? And he and I had a great conversation, probably one of the most significant conversations I've ever had with him in my life. And that was Friday morning. And on Tuesday, he was dead, unexpectedly. Jesus is having that conversation with the disciples. I'm preparing you for a time when I'm not here so that you know your joy is not rooted in my presence because presence is not a requirement for joy. Let's continue on. Verse 20. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful but your sorrow will turn into joy. Which, let me pause there. That's a weird concept, sorrow turning into joy. Continuing on, when a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. So the second thing we learn about joy from Jesus' own mouth is that the fullness of joy is realized in the midst of sorrow. He talks about a, a woman giving birth here, and you've got to imagine this is in Jesus' time. This isn't now with like nice, clean hospital, high prognosis of success, right? This is 
giving birth was a life and death situation, right? So there's a lot of anguish going into that, like, hey, I'm excited, we're having a baby, but I also hope I don't die in the midst of this. I hope the baby doesn't die. I hope something doesn't happen because we don't have anesthesia and 17 doctors in the room taking care of me, right? It's, it's sorrowful. And yet when the baby's there and all of you mothers, right, you know, it's a joyous occasion. And the sorrow, you forget all about it. You don't even remember that you were scared. You don't even remember the pain. You remember the joy. The fullness of joy is realized in the midst of sorrow because as Jesus tells us, we are heirs to joy. No one will take the joy from you. No one can steal it because we're heirs. And the thing that is the most comforting to us is that he sends the Holy Spirit to live with us, to be our comforter in the midst of sorrow. He is the joy bringer when the sorrow is present. So I wanna further, further highlight this point, the fullness of joy is realized in the midst of sorrow. Uh, by showing you another picture, and it, it's, it's a tie to my attire here today. So this is, anybody know who the, everybody know these characters? This is from a Pixar movie called Inside Out. It came out, I don't know, years ago, um, but I have a three-year-old, so we discovered it about a year ago and watched it every day for about two months. Um, I love this movie. I love it. Okay, so this movie, the, the concept here, these five people, these are the five primary emotions of a teenage girl going through a big move into a new city. So she is, as you can imagine, full of emotions. This is only five of, I'm sure, several thousand. Um, but I wanna go over these characters. So here on the far right in the purple, this is fear. Fear is always afraid of everything. He's scared, he's worried. He, he is definitely trying to put the brakes on anything happening. Um, let's go over to the far, far right because I wanna come back to these other two. Uh, red is anger. Anger's always mad. He's always the first one to want to, you know, come after somebody. Green is disgust, which for a teenage girl, she has a prominent role, right? Disgust, she's, she, everything grosses her out. She, she doesn't want to be in social situations that aren't positive. Uh, okay, let's go to blue. Blue is sadness. Sadness is the Debbie Downer of the group. None of the other four want her around. They don't want her touching anything because she always, she always brings down all the fun, okay? And in the middle here is Joy. Now, Joy is the, the main character in this movie. And Joy uh, wants everything to be happy. She doesn't want any bad things to happen. We're going through this move, but we're gonna be positive. Everything's great. First day of school, all the good stuff is going on. And somehow through circumstance, Joy gets uh, separated from the rest of the group. And along with her comes sadness. So Joy and sadness are together. And it is, uh, you know, Joy doesn't want sadness around because she bums her out, right? They're kind of, they feel like this antithesis. And yet what they come to realize is that they need each other to succeed, which this is the cool thing about this movie that is not spelled out in the movie, but it's super cool to me. So uh, fear, anger, disgust, sorrow, they are their color right? They are head to toe, blue, purple, green, red, head to toe, everything. What's joy? Joy's yellow, except her eyes are blue and her hair is blue. Who else is blue? Sadness. Joy is not complete except in the midst of sorrow. The fullness of joy is realized in the midst of sorrow. I learned that from a kid's movie right? But it's a biblical concept. Let's go on. Let's finish up this passage. Verse 23. 
In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. So number three, the third thing we learn from this passage, God is the source of joy. We just have to ask. Because our joy is rooted in hope, we know that he is our source. And we have to make a choice. And that choice is to simply ask. He's the end of our questions and he completes our joy and he is beyond and it's beyond and it's a joy that is beyond happiness. And asking, why do we ask? Why does Jesus say you haven't asked in my name, but whatever you ask in my name will be granted to you? Well, typically when I'm asking for something, I'm asking with my own motives. I'm asking with my own I deserve this, right? But when I ask in Jesus' name, when I put Jesus by my side as my advocate, hey God, this this person, your son that lived this perfect life, he vouches for me in this request. We are acknowledging our own unworthiness. We are unworthy of God's blessing. And so when we put Jesus in our stead who is worthy, he says, whatever you ask in my name will be granted to you. So here's my question I have for you this morning. And that is what question do you need to ask? What question do you need to ask in Jesus' name of God in order that your joy may be complete? So every time I get a chance to pitch hit and step out of the batter's box and get to preach, whether it's here or at one of our other services, I always like to try to make sure that these messages are practical So I always give you homework. Some of you do the homework and come and tell me, hey, I read the whole book of Acts this week. And I'm like, yay, I'm so proud of you. And some of you just ignore me and that's fine too. Um, But, and maybe you do it and you just don't tell me and that's great. Um, But this morning, I wanna make sure that this is also a practical message. So here is your homework. Here are your takeaways. This season, this Advent season, as we move towards Christmas, when we when you hear things about rejoicing and repeating the sounding joy and joy to the world, when you hear about this idea of joy, I want you to remember that joy is not a feeling that we feel, it's a choice that we make. How are you choosing joy this season, even if it's in the midst of sorrow? Because I'm just here to tell you right now, holidays are hard, right? Whether you've lost someone or you haven't lost someone, because guess what? Who do you get to spend the holidays with? Family. Is that easy? Raise your hand if you just think hanging out with your family for a a long time is just super fun all the time, right? Like, it's great. Don't get me wrong. I love my family. I love spending time with them. But families are messy. Families are, my family in particular, we have so many personalities across the spectrum. We could be, we could be the inside out characters, And it's hard, it's hard. So it's hard to choose joy sometimes in the midst of this season. The real joy to the world that we sing about, the real joy that we celebrate this season. I know we think about the Christ child and um, you know, in the words of Ricky Bobby, the little eight pound, three ounce baby Jesus, like the joy, but the joy that we are singing about, the joy that's about to come to this world, we're not celebrating 
a baby. We're not celebrating even the life and ministry of Jesus, the many signs and wonders he did. We're not even celebrating the fact that he died on the cross. You know what we're celebrating? We're celebrating that three days later, he got out of that grave. He conquered death. And then he sent the Holy Spirit to live amongst us right now. Like right now, right in this moment, he is leading us through the Holy Spirit. And I think we can miss, sometimes in this season when we're celebrating Christmas, we can miss the fact that like Easter's right around the corner, y'all. And that's the reason we're here. If Jesus just came and lived a great life and then died and nothing happened after that, we would not all be here. We are celebrating the joy that comes through the death, resurrection, through the coming of the Holy Spirit. So what is, what is my job? I've given you some homework. Here's, here's my part. This is my hope for our church in this new year as we kick off our new year here today in Advent. And I want to read from you from the book of Acts about what the early church looked like right? Because the early church was going through a lot of stuff too. They weren't necessarily in real joyful circumstances all the time. So Acts chapter 13, starting at verse 50. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city and stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Joy and the Holy Spirit, those are linked. Do you know why they're linked? Let me just give you a list of words and tell me if you can, see if anybody knows what this is. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. What are those? The fruit of the Spirit, right? The Spirit is who gives us joy. So my hope, my hope for this season, for us, for this church, for everyone that's here today, for everyone that walks through these doors week in and week out is that we are filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit regardless of anything else that's going on. Let me pray for us. Father God, thank you so much for an opportunity to gather together, to be here to celebrate Advent, to celebrate the start of this season where we wait, we wait for your arrival. I'm so grateful to be in this place, at this church, at this time, in this season, and to to learn what it looks like to choose joy each and every day in my walk with you. I ask now that you, through your Holy Spirit, would empower each and every one of us every day to choose joy, to embrace your hope and your dreams that you have for us as individuals and as a church. We pray all of these things in your name. Amen.